Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. You know, spiritual warfare is something that happens when you are doing something that is in line with what God would have you to do and is fulfilling his purposes. So when spiritual warfare is not present, then that should always be a little concern like, okay, am I doing anything that matters? And when I see spiritual warfare happen, a lot of times it's when I'm doing a certain series. uh, And so when spiritual warfare starts taking place, part of me gets excited because I feel like, okay, this is, this is a message that God really has for us. And, and warfare comes up in a lot of different places. Sometimes it comes through people, through events. Sometimes it comes from yourself. But Satan is usually the one who's prompting that warfare. And so I uh, wanted to just continue that the, for the next several Sundays, starting last Sunday, we're going to be dealing with some things that are f- foundational uh, for our fellowship, and we talked about the core values, and today I want to talk about some focus that uh, I believe God is leading us to. It, you know, in the ancient world, in biblical times, the cities were surrounded by walls, and that was to protect them from their enemy, and whenever there was a breach in the wall, it was serious because it gave the enemy access to the inside, and what would have to happen would people had to be willing to risk their lives to stand in the gap and help fight the enemy. And they were most vulnerable to losing their lives, but it was still very serious uh, op- uh, responsibility to always stand in that gap and in helping fight the enemy. Well, just like there are those physical walls, there are spiritual walls. And <clears throat> we have a spiritual wall around us as individuals. We have a spiritual wall around us as a church. We even have a spiritual wall around our country. And I think we would all agree there are a lot of breaches in that wall. So the question is, are there breaches in your personal wall, your spiritual wall? And are there breaches in the walls of our church? In Ezekiel, God is talking about a spiritual wall around Israel. And these are the words of God himself. So pay attention, very important to hear what he has to say. He said, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness. Now that's, that's something I, I look for in leaders in our country, that there might be someone who's raised up to help rebuild the wall of righteousness around our country. I look for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. I search for someone to stand in the gap, the gap in the wall, so I would not have to destroy the land. See, God's holiness requires him to respond to wickedness. And if you think for a second that God is not paying attention to what's happening in your life individually, the life of a church, the life of our country, you're mistaken. 
And what God is looking for are those who, people who will stand in the gap and be that spiritual prayer warrior to help fill the gaps where there should be righteousness. And he says, I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land. And then the most sad words he had to say, but I found no one. How sad that is. I found no one. And then he tells us what the consequence is. So now, because I found no one, because there were so many breaches in the spiritual wall and I found no one to stand in the gap around this wall of righteousness to help rebuild that, I will now pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my anger. God's holy anger will always deal with sin. I heap on their heads the full penalty of their sins. And I, and I want to say to you, God does not want to do that. Otherwise, why did he send Jesus? I mean, he does not want to have to pour out his judgment, his wrath. But he will. He says, I will heap on their heads the full penalty of their sins. And I want to tell you, I, I am so thankful that somebody shared Jesus with me. My dad shared Christ with me, and I pray to receive Christ. I'm so thankful for that, so that God does not have to put on my head the full penalty of my sins. Instead, I accepted the fact that he put that wrath on his own son, Now, these last words are crucial. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. There is no one who can withstand, stand against, stand up to the word of holy God. And when God says it, that's it. It's a done matter. My responsibility is to accept what God says and to adjust my life accordingly. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So we, we need, as believers, to unpackage this. What does it mean to stand in the gap? If God's looking for people to stand in the, in the gap of the spiritual wall, what does that mean? You know, by standing in the gap, we're not praying God, my will be done. We're not praying that, yet that's how a lot of us pray. Lord, here's what I want you to do. Here, here's what I want you to do for me, and actually, here's how I want you to do it. You ever prayed that way? Lord, I want you to meet this need. Now, here's how I want you to meet that need. God, I, I need you to deal with this situation, and here's how you could really do it right. God, I, I want vengeance on that person, so... Here's what I want you to do to them. You know, you might not pray it, but you sure do think it, right? And so by standing in the gap, I'm praying for God's will. I'm praying for myself and my walk with the Lord. I'm praying for my family members. You know, we have, Mary and I have very specific family members that we pray for, for their salvation. Um, I pray for the fellowship of this church, 
And uh, that's something we should all pray for. We pray for each other, pray for our land. We're commanded to pray for our leaders. Do you know the Bible tells us specifically to pray for our leaders? And when I pray and stand in the gap, when you pray and stand in the gap, you are actually, by the power of the Holy Spirit, reinforcing the wall where it has been breached. By standing in the gap and praying daily for individuals who will come and be a part of our worship service, people maybe that are looking for answers, they're, maybe they're looking for God. Jesus, here, Here's the bottom line. Here's what the, the bottom line is what Jesus said. Make disciples. Make disciples. That's what he's called us to do. So if I truly love God, and I'm going to stand in the gap, I'm going to make disciples. If I truly love others, I'm going to make disciples. You know, if I, if I love myself, like, like I'm told, I love others like I love myself. If I really love myself, then I want to make disciples because I am doing what I'm made for. When I love myself in a godly way, the way Jesus intended for me to love myself, then I am passionate about fulfilling God's purpose for my life, and my purpose in my life has to be attached to God's great commission that Jesus gave us to make disciples. That's got to be part of it. And God uses our spiritual gifts as to how we might do that. Because see, disciple-making involves evangelism, but it also involves, once they pray to receive Christ, it involves baptizing them, and then it involves teaching them to observe all the things that I have taught you. Make disciples. So that's the bottom line. If I'm going to truly worship God, I'm going to make disciples. If I believe the Bible is true, then I'm going to make disciples. If I truly believe that people who die without Christ will spend eternity in that unimaginable place called hell, then I, I've got to be passionate about making disciples. If I, you know, and the sad thing is, a lot of times believers actually live as if they don't think hell exists. Because we don't stand in the gap for people about their spiritual condition. So the focus that I want to continue to lead Gateway in is this idea of making disciples. There's a couple of ways we do that. One is by increasing our life groups because that's where a lot of disciple making happens. And, and your senior staff, we have talked a lot about, and we got, Bart has plans uh, to increase our life. And, and here's one of my challenge to you. If you have a spiritual gift of leadership or you have the spiritual gift of hospitality or you have the spiritual gift of teaching, one of the great ways that you can use those spiritual gifts is in a life group, leading a life group. You know, you don't even have to be a teacher to lead a life group. And for every spiritual gift that is not being utilized in your life, that's a ministry that is not being done that God intends to be done. Otherwise, why would, he given, why would he have given you that gift? Your spiritual gift, it's vital that you know what it is. We, we want to continue to increase our church planning efforts. Here, abroad, 
We're involved in some church planning in our country. We're involved in some church planning in other countries. And I want to tell you, we see the results. Over 3,000 churches that we're part of a crossover ministry, and we've seen over 3,000 churches planted. And um, the, the, when, you, when you plant churches, that's one of the fastest ways to reach new people for Christ. And it's, it's serious business. I shared with you recently how two of our church planters actually lost their lives. They're martyrs. They were killed because they were planning a church. We want to increase our church planning emphasis, and we do this. We also want to increase our caring for people that we care enough to risk. To risk for the sake of somebody's eternity. So let's look at that word risk for a second. The letter R. If I'm going to risk, I've got to deal with my fear. So I, I want to challenge you to rebuke your fear. The Bible is very clear about this in 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. The reason he has given us a spirit of love, power, and self-discipline is for the purpose of telling other people about the Lord. And the reason we don't talk about Jesus is because of fear and timidity. Well, let's look at this verse for a second. He says, God has not given. Not given is a past completed action. It's already done. God never will give you. Anytime you have fear, anytime you have timidity, you can know right off the bat, this did not come from God. And if it didn't come from God, it came from the enemy. So there's, when I have fear and I have timidity, there's a breach in the wall of righteousness around my life. There's a breach in the spiritual wall around my life. Whenever a church is afraid to make hard stands, there's a breach in the wall. And we're acting out of fear instead of power, instead of love. If I really love someone, I would want for their salvation. And God's promised me, he's already given me the power to speak the gospel. And he's given me the discipline to be able to do it. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, hey, hey when you get harassed, when you, get, uh, you go and you share the gospel, if you get arrested, any of these things happen to you, don't worry. I'll tell you what to say when it's time to say it. The Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when it's time to say it. And that, so that's a good way of praying. Uh, Lord, I'm going to spend time with this family member. I'm going to spend time with this friend. I pray that at the right time, at the right opportunity, I will speak with courage out of love. I will, you know, anybody can go and just get in a person's face. But he says, God, God's given me a spirit of love. So that means there's a, t 
tenderness there. There's a passion there, a compassion there. That I, I want to speak the truth of God's word with love and compassion. This spirit of fear and timidity is not from God. Now, there is a proper fear of God, uh, that, uh, that fear that we have an awe of him, a reverence for him, but this kind of fear, this timidity, is, it's a cowardly kind of thing. It's a shameful fear, and it generate, it's generated by my weaknesses, by my selfishness, and by my selfish character. God's given me power, God's given me love, and God's given me discipline. You, you know why you have great compassion for your friend that's not a believer, and you lose sleep over them, and you cry out to God about them? It's because God's put that love in you for them. And that's why you have the feelings that you do. In Ephesians chapter 1, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope. So I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. And we've already talked about how Jesus is the light. So let your hearts be flooded with the light of Jesus so that you can understand the confident hope he has given. So you already have it to those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. So if you're a believer, there's a prayer that's been prayed for you that God continues to answer, that he has given you a confident hope and that you're his holy people. He said, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. My power just does not work. It always runs out. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe him. For believers. God's power is for believers. Now get this. This is what this power is. This is the same Power, not a copy. It is the identical power, the mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is huge. I mean, if this power was enough to raise Jesus from the dead, don't you think it's enough for you to help you with your issues, your situation? Don't you think this power is enough for you in sharing the true love of Jesus with a lost friend? You're operating under that kind of power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that you live your life. Wow. So when God said, I have given you power, he wasn't kidding around. He didn't give me leftovers. He gave me, he gave you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And I want to tell you, that's sufficient. God has, every, has given every believer the resource 
of his own divine love. So the love that God put in me is his love. God's given me the privilege of seeing people through his eyes, his passion, his love. And God has given me the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He's given me that power to have influence in their life. And God has given me the discipline to do something about it. He's already given it to you. But if there's a breach in your spiritual wall, then the enemy comes in and speaks lies to you and you believe them. They're just going to laugh at you. They're going to call you names. Oh, you're going to get a reputation. You don't want that. And we believe those lies and we become timid. We become fearful, just like the Bible says. And we know that didn't come from God. Romans 5, 5. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. How do we know that? Well, he sent Jesus to die for us. Because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So Jesus died for us, and Jesus rose from the dead, and then Jesus went back to heaven so that his Holy Spirit could come and live in us, so that hope we have doesn't lead me to disappointment. I have God himself in me. You have God himself in you, and you have his power, and you have his love, and you have his discipline. Is that sufficient? Our spiritual lives are, met, are measured accurately by our love. Our life, if we love God, our life will be centered on pleasing him and on seeking the best welfare of others. That's the kind of love we have. When we live by godly discipline, then our gracious Lord gives us, our priorities are placed in the right order. My guess is, because I know this is true for me many times, I can look at my priorities and say, and I just know real quick, Don, your priorities are so whacked. They are not in the right order. You are placing things that are not a high priority in first place. And because you're doing that, you're not getting to the things that matter to God. So that's where the self-discipline comes in that God has given me to know to put things in the right order. And so when I am filled with God's love and discipline and power, my priorities will be placed in the right order. And then every aspect of my life will be dedicated and devoted to advancing the cause of Jesus. Because that's all that's going to matter. That's all that's going to survive. You know, um, 
when we speak truth, God's not given me the job to go around and call out sin in everybody's life. God's given me the job to speak truth. The Holy Spirit does the calling out. Somebody is, people will come up to me after a sermon. I said, man, I felt so convicted when you said this and you really convicted me. I said, no, I didn't. That was the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, you know, you said this. And I'm sitting there going, no, I don't think I did. Go back and listen again. But maybe the Holy Spirit said that to you. See, when I quote scripture, the Holy Spirit applies it to you individually for what you need to hear. Psalms 27, the Lord is my light. Jesus is the light. The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. So why should I be afraid if Jesus indeed is my Lord and my light and my salvation? The Lord is my fortress. He's the wall. He's my fortress protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Why should I be timid? So when I'm timid and fearful, I have forgotten the truth of who Jesus is. The I stands for intercede for your friend. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise and talking about returning as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. You know, I wish Jesus would come back today, but Jesus is being patient. God's being patient in returning for our sake so that we will have that one more opportunity to share the gospel with that friend, that, that family member, that if Jesus came back today, that'd be it. That'd be it. Or if they were to die today, that's the end of the story of this life and the beginning of a story of pure hell. So God is being patient in coming back for our sake that we might fulfill the purpose he has given us. So God's not loitering around and God's not late and he's not slow. He's patient. God has an immense capacity for patience before he breaks forth with judgment. I'm thankful for that patience because I've got too many friends and family members that if his patient, when it runs out, I'll never see him again. Second Thessalonians, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we ask you to pray for us. Pray that the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. So that's a prayer that we need to be praying. You need to be praying for the church. You need to be praying for the ministries that we support, the mission efforts that we support, praying that the gospel will spread rapidly. In 1 Timothy, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, all people groups. Ask God to help them. Help them to open their eyes spiritually. Help them to 
know the truth, to hear the truth, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. The lost have a very great need for salvation. And believers should always be asking God to meet that need. And you and I have a blessed privilege of having a great role in someone's salvation. The S stands for sow, sow plenty of seeds. Second Timothy, so I am willing to endure anything, anything, if it will bring salvation and glory in Christ Jesus to those he has chosen, to those God has chosen. God has chosen that everyone that responds to the gospel will spend eternity with them. And so am I willing, are you willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation to other people? Are we willing to do that? And are we willing to have this spirit that Paul had? I'm willing to endure anything for the sake of the gospel. Sow plenty of seeds. Colossians 1.6 uh, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. That's still that's true today. It's going out all over the world. It, it is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives. I, I have the privilege of traveling and seeing some of the work that's being done, and everywhere I go, I hear stories of salvation. I hear amazing stories of how God saved people through dreams through chance encounters, actually godly divine appointments. Just as it changed your life from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Sow plenty of seeds, knowing that some will sprout and some will not. And lastly, the letter K for know. Know that the time is limited but you can make a difference. Romans 13, this is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Now, I think he's talking about eras, not the time on the clock. We live in the church era, the church age. And there's a countdown to when that age is going to end. The day is coming when God is going to remove the church from earth. Now think of this. We know of all the wickedness that happens in our country with the church here. Imagine what would happen in our country if the church and all believers were removed. Imagine the chaos, the upheaval, the wickedness running rampant, like with no safeties, with no restraints. That day is coming. And so Romans is saying, this is all the more urgent for you to know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believe. Every day is one day closer to the return of Christ. <clears throat> the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove, oh, listen to this. 
Remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. He's talking to believers now. Remove those sins that you think nobody knows about, but God knows it. He says, remove them. Remove them like dirty clothes. You come in and your clothes are filthy and you've been working hard. You want to get them off and bathe and put on fresh clothes. He says, that's how you need to see the sins that are in your life. You, you got to remove them like those dark deeds, just like dirty clothes. And then put on the shining armor of right living. I think that verse is saying we need to wake up from our spiritual apathy, our spiritual laziness, our unresponsiveness to the things of God. We need to wake up from that. Imagine the last person that's going to be saved. God already knows who that person is. I don't know if that person's alive or not, but God knows and he knows when that person's going to be saved. He knows who that person's going to be, and he knows that that's it. When this last individual is saved, that's when the church age era ends. Who do you know that does not know Jesus personally? And what are you willing to do for them? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to risk? Are you willing to invite? Are you willing to share? In fact, I'm going to ask you to write something down for me. Just grab a, a communication card or grab an envelope, whatever's in the back of the seat, or a piece of paper. It doesn't matter. I want you to write your name, your first and last name on it. But then I, only, I want you to write only the first name of a, fan, a friend or a family member, a coworker, a fellow student who you know is not a believer. Don't write down somebody who's a believer that's not living right because we got to put everybody's name on that one. <laughs> put your first name and last name and then just the first name of somebody that, that you know. I mean, it can be more than one. If somebody that in your family, you're, and, and, and then we're going to take these names and we're going to start seriously praying for them. Because I cannot convict anybody of sin, but that's the Holy Spirit's job. I cannot bring anybody to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, some of you were at the gateway during this time, but when we built these buildings, before we put the carpet down, we took a couple of days and people could just come by and write down names of people that weren't saved, that... Um, we're believers, uh, we're not believers that we were gonna pray for. And we've had times where individuals whose names were written down pray to receive Christ. And the person who wrote that name down was able to take that person and say, somewhere over here, I wrote your name and claimed the gospel for your life. If indeed God answers prayers, he loves answering prayers that deal with the salvation 
of people that haven't accepted Christ yet. And then when the offering's taken, just stick that in the offering basket. And we want to take serious of risking for those people. And we as a family want to risk for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray.